things as we get started. Yeah, thanks, Alan. Raise your hand if you'd like a Bible, and we will hand one to you. Also, if you're on the aisle and there's a basket with a couple of cards in there, feel free to take a card if you'd like to fill one out with your updated address or comment or any kind of prayer request. That's what those are for. So you can take a basket, hand it down. Um, while you're doing that, let me say, um, I'm almost there. <laughs> Stealing my thunder. It'll get there, it'll get there. Uh, thank you to those of you who volunteered yesterday uh, at our uh, single parents workday. 60 people spread out across the city of Lincoln to 10 different sites. And what really kind of emerged out of this was an opportunity to say Happy Mother's Day to single moms in our community. Um, I got a lot of pictures yesterday and some great uh, comments from folks, um, appreciative texts and things like that. So there's just a couple people that uh, helped serve. So thank you to those of you who helped with that. And then, of course, Happy Mother's Day. Uh, we want to honor those of you uh, who are mothers today and um, thank you for the love that you share. We also especially, it seems like increasingly, are aware of and are invited into situations where, where we're just, we're just uh, made aware of the fact that um, this day and this topic is full of emotion. There's celebration. As recently as a couple of days ago, somebody in our community uh, had her first baby. So there's just vivid, raw celebration. And then there's also disappointment associated with this. There's also hurt associated with the idea of motherhood. And we recognize that. We want you to know that. And um, what we have is a great sense of hope that we can bring all of that to Christ and, and, um, and just be real with it with him. So... Um, may you comfort others today. May you celebrate the fullness of what God has given to you. All right. And then finally, this is my wife, Carmen, who agreed to, yeah. <laughs> right. There we go. Uh, grateful that Carmen um, agreed after amazing, um, what is it, persuasive skills on my part to... Um, to join with me. It's been 10 years since we've been pastoring this church, and I think it's the first time Carmen's preached, and she's a great teacher, and I'm excited that she's here. All right. Good. Thanks. Oh, he starts in the hole. Good. All right. I want to share a couple of stories with you. My screen is gone, so I'm going to have to, unfortunately, look kind of behind me here. A couple of stories about birth. A couple of birth stories to begin. I'm 10 years old. My mom is in labor in the kitchen. Um, and by the end of the day, I'm going to have a baby brother. Uh, but for the moment, I'm watching Sesame Street with my sisters. I'm also watching Sean. Uh, it's 1982. Midwifery in California is illegal. But after having four babies via C-section, cesarean section, in case you didn't want, you know, cut the mom open, um, not because it was necessary with the last three, but because that's just what was required if you'd had a previous cesarean section. So after having four babies via C-section, my mom decides she's done having birth surgeries. She's done um, enduring these multi-week recoveries, and she wants a vaginal delivery or a, a normal delivery. The doctors are appalled at this suggestion. It's completely out of the question. She's told it's physically impossible. Verbs like explode are used when people are talking to her. Um, a fifth cesarean is the only option. 
The only way any doctor in any hospital will deliver the baby. So my mom decides to have her fifth child without a doctor and without a hospital. Right? Her fifth child will be a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean, born at home with the support of a midwife named Sean. Sean is meditating on a round braided rug she brought with her and planted in the middle of our living room. <laughs> While we, my sisters and I, are watching Bert and Ernie. <laughs> At the end of the day, my brother is born, and after he's born, we pay Sean with geese. Yeah. <laughs> All right, second birth story. I should have got permission to tell these stories, probably. <clears throat> second birth story. All right, I'm 37 years old, and uh, my wife's in labor in the living room. By the end of the day, I'll have another son. Uh, and as the quiet morning progresses, I'm watching my wife. I'm also watching Claudia and Jen. I've been watching Claudia and Jen for months now because in addition to providing really refreshingly human prenatal care for my wife, they're also teaching me to do my job better. I'm a pastor. I care for souls. And these midwives are putting on a soul care clinic in my house as I watch. Observing them is some of the best soul care education I have ever received. And in the months that follow, as I continue to reflect on the midwife's work, on my wife's labor, on the whole birthing, mothering experience, I realize I'm seeing God from a different perspective. I realize I'm seeing God from a fuller perspective, I realize it's because I'm seeing God with a different set of images in my mind. Some of the attributes of God, some of the characteristics of God are best described with feminine metaphor, with feminine images. Now, most images of God are masculine, and there are some good reasons for this. Masculine pronouns are always used in the scriptures in reference to God. Jesus himself refers to God as Father. He even refers to the Holy Spirit as Him. But and people say, well, that's just cultural. Well, actually, it's more than cultural. It's theological. There are really important theological reasons that the male metaphor is the better metaphor for God if you had to choose one of the two. Specifically, God initiates relationship with us. God pursues relationship with us. The church receives life not from within herself. This is important. The church receives life from a life source outside of itself. And while Jesus was and is definitely male, it's not really accurate to refer to God as exclusively male or as exclusively female because God made both female and male in God's image. Both male and female come from God. Both male and female reflect the truth about God, reveal the fullness of God. 
In other words, there are attributes of God which are best described using masculine metaphor, like we talk about the authority of God, and we use the metaphor of God as king, which is a masculine metaphor. That's the most helpful to talk about the attribute of his authority. But then there are also attributes of God, like God's nurture, God's comfort, uh, God's passionate dedication and loyalty, which are attributes which might be best communicated, best understood, and where we're really heading with this this morning is best experienced through feminine metaphor. Attributes like nurture, comfort, dedication. We might, maybe not, because pictures are broken and metaphors are incomplete, but we might have a fuller experience of God if we're willing to see him through some feminine metaphor. Here's some examples from Scripture. This is Moses singing a song to the people of Israel, and his song includes these words, You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, he sings to the people. You forgot the God who gave you birth. Um, In another book, Isaiah is comparing God to a nursing mother and says this, Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I, Isaiah says as the voice of God, yet I will not forget you. And then a final example from later in Isaiah. Isaiah has God saying, as a mother, this is, Isaiah has God saying, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. So there are several other feminine metaphors that are used in Scripture for God. We're spending a few weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. Christians believe in the Holy Spirit, and basically, or biblically, a lot is said about the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is. Even more is said in Scripture about what the Holy Spirit does. We want to better understand the Holy Spirit of God. Even more than that, we want to more fully experience the Holy Spirit of God. So toward that end this morning, Carmen and I will be teaching about the comforting work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to talk about this morning, that the Holy Spirit is a comforter, which is not an exclusively feminine uh, characteristic or ability, but one which might be more fully understood if we considered the idea of comfort from a feminine perspective. All right. When Jesus teaches his disciples about the Holy Spirit, he uses a very rich Greek word to refer to him as the paraclete. And that word is sometimes translated as advocate or counselor or helper. In older translations, it's translated as the comforter. I think it's interesting that many of the previous words that are used to describe the spirit, those actions result in comfort. So I think it's an all-encompassing, full, rich view of everything that he does. So when we read John 14, 16, where Jesus is describing what he's going to be praying for the disciples. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, counselor, helper, comforter, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I think that's amazing. An advocate is someone who publicly champions our cause. In the case of the spirit, he does this by praying for us. The Holy Spirit actually prays before the Father for us, Romans says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
Last week, Nathan talked about the Holy Spirit as a counselor, one who helps us work through things, one who guides us. The Holy Spirit is our counselor as well as our healer. Another way the word is translated is one who comes alongside to comfort. And I love this idea because I think it speaks to the closeness of the Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit comes to offer comfort in the midst of trials. And it can be easy for us to slip into an understanding of spirituality, which is uh, works-based. We, we think that sometimes we have to earn the comfort of God, or we have to work or try harder to earn the comfort of God. But I think it's an important reminder to remember that it is the presence and action of the Spirit, not our own effort, which brings comfort in our lives. We don't earn the comfort of the Spirit. It's a gift. It supersedes your guilt, your failures, your shortcomings, your maturity or the lack thereof, your weakness, your pain, your heartbreak, your anger with God, your disappointment with God, your exhaustion. These things sometimes might present themselves as barriers to our ability to receive, but if we will receive, God will set all of that aside, and he will comfort you. Um, I rarely go to the doctor, but when I do, it's because something's wrong with me. <laughs> um, and, and while the people are usually nice, we had a fantastic doctor in Auburn for years, the whole experience, or the experience as a whole, can be rather frustrating. Uh, first, I have to navigate a remarkably inhuman system of communication in order to even hit the doctor's radar. And then I got to drive to the doctor's office, and then I got to wait until the doctor will see me now, which is often a long time from now. And then in a period of just a very few minutes, I got like three minutes and 15 seconds, I need to describe my problem um, in detail. And then the doctor will prescribe a test, the doctor will prescribe a drug, and the doctor will leave me sitting on a table in my underwear, is what typically happens, right? God is a healer. Jesus is described as the great physician. But if the picture that most of us have of that concept is based on the current medical care complex, it is probably not a very comforting picture. Okay, I'm not trying to say anything negative about the bigger picture in terms of its ability or professionalism. I'm just saying in terms of its ability to comfort, it's just not at its, not at its A game there. That's all we know. That was all I knew until I experienced something different, and that was the kind of care that was provided by a midwife. Midwife means with woman. And I love that definition too because it's simple and meaningful. The image of the midwife, the with woman model of care, confronts the reality of the hurried, impatient, or fear problem focused professional with a profoundly relational, a profoundly human, and a profoundly Christ-like alternative. Let's look at two ways that the midwife metaphor can be helpful in understanding the Spirit. The first is the Holy Spirit comes to us like a midwife. When we were looking for a midwife for Matthias' birth, we were also still going through treatment for leukemia with Isaiah, 
And one of the things that was very important to me was to try and keep our family together. If you've ever gone through cancer treatment with someone in your family, you know that your family becomes very fragmented. Uh, your routines are always interrupted. You never really know what's coming next around the corner, and your life feels very unsettled. And so I was really hoping to find a way to love our new baby and care for him and also love and care for Isaiah. So it was very important to me to try to find a way to, to keep us a cohesive unit. And so I was explaining to the midwives that we were going through treatment and that there would be times when I might not make prenatal appointments at the last minute, when I might not be able to get labs or an ultrasound done exactly at the timing, which they, they might like. And I asked them, how do, you, how do you feel about working with someone like that in that life stage? And she said, well, we'll come to you. She said, we'll just come find you. If you're in the hospital with Isaiah, we'll come there and we'll take your blood pressure and we'll listen to the baby and we'll measure you and we'll talk. And you won't have to leave him. We'll just come. You can just call us and tell us and we'll, we'll just come down to Sutter Memorial and we'll find you. And in that moment, her words were a comfort for all of the what-if scenarios that I had been carrying around in my mind about what could happen. I knew that it was going to be challenging, that that year, that last year of treatment was going to have a lot of challenges with it, but I also had the comfort after that conversation of knowing that the midwives were going to be with me and they were going to help me through that journey. And that's the way we experience comfort. Someone comes alongside us and meets us where we are, no matter where that is. Right. Midwives come alongside. They enter the woman's world and experience. They listen. They nurture. They give. The families that work with them receive their care. I think that's very similar to our posture of receiving from the Holy Spirit. We receive his care. We are given his care. Notice some of the verbs used in scripture to describe how we can experience the Spirit. Wait. Jesus tells the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift that my Father promised, the one I told you about, the beginning of Acts. Just tells them to wait. Receive. Paul says, have you received the Spirit? Receive the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. It's an action of receiving, taking something from another that is freely given to you. Yeah, I just think this is a really important point that we need to make sure that we're clear on. In other words, we're not told to climb a mountain to receive the Spirit or to achieve the Spirit, which is the way we talk about it sometimes. Work yourself up into a frenzy so that you will somehow acquire the Spirit, that you'll be able to touch something that only a few really gifted or especially committed or passionate. We're talking about the Spirit comforting us, and all we do is wait and receive. So it's very backwards from the way we talk about getting or experiencing most things. We're going to talk about passion next week. We're going to talk about power the week after that. But today we're talking about comfort. And the operative posture, the, the key verbs are receptive. I just acknowledge and receive. That's how comfort comes. That's how the spirit as comforter comes. In addition to that, I wanted to 
just send out a reminder that there is no circumstance that precludes you from receiving the comfort of God, from receiving the comfort of the Holy Spirit. God clearly promises, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. It doesn't matter what's wrong with the kid. The mom's going to comfort. She's going to be there. Right. And I know some of you might be thinking, but not me. So I want to say something for the but not me crowd out there. You're the one. Whether you think that you don't deserve it or whether it's because you didn't have a good relationship with your mom and she didn't comfort you, this is still for you. God is saying, you're the one. I love you. I will be your mother. I will to be your mother. I know how to be your mother. If you let me. If you will receive. Let's look at the second way the midwife metaphor is helpful in understanding the spirit. The Holy Spirit comforts us by reminding us what's true. He's a truth teller. One of the things that midwives do during a birth, during sometimes the most intense times of a birth, is they just gently remind of what's real and what's true. They'll say to the mother, you're strong. You can do this. Babies come out. It's going to be okay. Those are good words. And this is what the Spirit does as well. Sometimes comfort comes in a deep wave of emotional peace. Sometimes I've experienced comfort and what I was worried about is removed and I feel peaceful. I'm not carrying that worry around anymore. It supersedes all, all of that. But a lot of times in my life, comfort has looked very different from that. I have not always necessarily experienced that emotional comfort in the absence of worry or pain, but God has comforted me by making me steady and hopeful in the midst of my pain, in the middle of a difficult journey. His comfort comes and helps me be strong. Comfort is not always the absence of pain. Comfort comes into your pain, and the Holy Spirit reminds us in that pain of what is true. He reminds us of what Jesus taught. The Spirit reminds us of God's Word. And by doing so, He reminds us of what's true about God and what's true about us. Sometimes I think our reality can be so intense that the truth about us and God is obscured. It becomes difficult to see how God is at work. It becomes difficult and sometimes completely hidden from us in those moments of darkness. But the Spirit is there, and He's speaking. In times of guilt and repentance, the Spirit says, you're forgiven. In times of worry, the Father knows what you need even before you ask. In times of sickness, by His stripes, we are healed. In times of suffering, we are persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. And sometimes the Spirit will give us the gift of a very specific scripture that will carry us. I want to share a short story, short personal story of a time when the Holy Spirit brought a scripture into my life that sustained and steadied me in a real time of darkness. I offer it to you not as a prescriptive. 
In other words, not as saying this is how it will happen for you or should happen for you. But I think it's helpful to hear a word picture of what this can look like in your life and specifically in a time of difficulty. I had just received some very bad news and I'm not going to go into all of the details, but just know I, had, I was given really bad news. I was in the hospital and I began to experience intense, sudden pain all over my body. I felt the way that you feel when you have a horrific flu and no matter how much ibuprofen you take, it will not go away and you will not feel better. Then I started to feel lightheaded. I started to feel like I couldn't breathe very well and I started to feel like I was disconnecting. I was separating myself a little bit from my reality and observing my own life. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. Mm -hmm. It feels like an out-of-body experience. And I almost felt like I was shutting down. Just my emotions were so intense, I felt like I was just gonna shut down. And I heard myself say, Lord, now you have sifted me to the point of death. And in the next few seconds, I experienced the presence of God in a supernatural way. I felt his nearness to me physically. And I didn't hear his voice audibly, but I felt something that was completely other, something that transcended that intense feeling of physical pain that I was having. It's a little bit difficult to describe. The best way that I can say it was I felt like he was so close that he cut through the thickness of my pain and he brought me back to that reality. He brought, he brought me back to that point in the hallway in the hospital where I was standing. And the Holy Spirit impressed upon me the following scripture. And this all happened really fast. Like, you know, how your mind works. Split seconds. But I have prayed for you. This is a scripture that, this is a, a quote of Jesus speaking to Simon just before he betrays Christ. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, you will strengthen your brothers. And I immediately pictured Jesus praying for me. There was no promise that everything would go away. But I suddenly knew that Jesus had already gone before me and he had made a way. And at some point, even though this was gonna happen, there would be life again. And I was comforted by that. I was comforted by the knowledge of Christ's prayers I was comforted by the knowledge that God knew the way in the darkness for me. And I had to take hold of that reminder over and over because the road was dark and it was long and we suffered. And my friends around me suffered and their paths, some of their paths were even darker than mine and it scared me. But the spirit came alongside and he comforted me in that long dark journey. He helped me hear the truth that I was not alone. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good. Thank you. The, um, 
the hope is that um, God would give us the uh, grace that we need uh, to honestly name our need for comfort, um, which means we have to say, this is what's hurting me. It's this. This is where I'm feeling pain, or this is my point of hurt. Um, and then that we will just be willing to wait and to receive the comfort of God into that, into that pain. So I'd like for um, Stephanie to play for a minute, and uh, here's what I'd like to invite us to do. Um, I, I'd like to ask you to, to turn to just two or three people near you. I know that this is challenging. It will probably be the most effective and helpful thing you do today. So I'm going to push into it because I think it's worth it. I just invite you to turn to somebody near you, um, two or three people near you, and just simply ask this question, how are you hurting? How are you hurting? Where is your pain? What is the point of discomfort for you? In other words, where do you need to experience the Holy Spirit as comforter in your life today? And I, re I realize that even that simple question could be incredibly difficult and because it's so raw and honest, at least it could be. So let's just take a minute to do that and I invite you to ask the person near you, how are you hurting? And then after each of you share, then I, I'd suggest that you just offer a word of comfort. And if you're comfortable, pray for that person that they would receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit, specifically in that area, in that area of, of hurt or of pain. Right. If you'd like, Carmen will be up here, I'll be up here. Um, others maybe um, on the prayer team can be near the ends of the curtains. If there's just something that you want to talk about that you're not comfortable talking about, with those around you, you're welcome to do that. We won't take a lot of time. Let's just take about four minutes, though, and, um, and talk with each other and ask the Spirit of God to comfort us where we need it. All right, amen. Amen.